This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! Need my sister and my daughter! What's in the box? Hello and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I am Slate Assistant Editor Marissa Martinelli, and today we are spoiling Oceans 8. Here to talk with me about the film are Slate staff writer Ingu Kang. Hi, Ingu. Hi. And New York Times Assistant TV Editor Aisha Harris. Hello, Aisha. Hello. And last but not least, Slate Culture intern Carmen Russo. Hey, Carmen. Hey, what's up? Uh, Oceans 8 is a reboot of sorts of the famed Oceans franchise, a series of heist movies. This one is directed by Gary Ross, and it puts an all-female cast in the center of the action. Uh, That cast includes Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, Aquafina, Rihanna, and Helena Bonham Carter. I almost ran out of breath just reading the names of this cast. Uh, So this movie moves the action to a heist at the Met Gala, or Gala, as is controversial within the movie itself. Uh, Let's start by, we're all four ladies here. Uh, We're halfway to having a heist of our own. What did we all think of this movie? Carmen, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I thought that it was great. I really liked how... You know, obviously the all-female cast was the center of it. It was very girly, but it wasn't a joke. Like, it was still a really great heist movie. It had funny moments. Um, It was badass. The fashion was also killer. And um, I really enjoyed it. Ingu, I know you felt similarly from your review. Uh, Yeah, I thought there were definitely a few things that felt very clockwork um like you have to do this and you have to have like this particular reveal at like the end of i don't know act like between act two and act three and there were stuff i i really wish like this um the movie had given the actresses more leeway in terms of sort of like running loose with the material um and i think like they were sort of like hampered by the fact that they had to pull off this like very meticulous heist. But other than that, I don't really have a lot of big problems with this one. How about you, Aisha? Did this scratch your summer movie itch? Uh, I found it entertaining enough. I was, (laughs) (laughs) that makes it sound like I disliked it more than I did. I, I enjoyed it. And you know, I think it's it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about the last time a major franchise was rebooted with all women, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been Ghostbusters. And I think, like, if you're worried about that, these are not the same movies, nor are they the same franchises. 
I think Ocean's Eleven as in general is a way better franchise than Ghostbusters is. And I think that this reboot is way better execution of a reboot uh, than the uh, Ghostbusters one was. At the same time, I did feel like it was kind of missing a crackle to it. And I don't know. My thought is that part of it was the banter. I felt like the banter for the most part didn't feel as loose and uh, snappy. Uh, it, it felt kind of felt kind of like it dragged a bit, especially at the beginning. It took a little while for things to heat up in comparing it to the original Oceans movie. And I also just wonder if the Met Gala is like a really interesting heist to pull off, but something about it, when I just think about the whole Vegas setting in the first movie, it, it, New York just felt not as exciting. Uh, so I guess I, I, I'm, I go back and forth, but I think overall it's a pleasant movie. Uh, I was not, uh, not disappointed by overall, like the way it was executed. I just think it could have used more just pizzazz. I like that element of the movie, moving it to New York. I don't know that I would have wanted another Las Vegas you know, casino heist from this movie. I thought that was an interesting choice. And I also thought it was a choice that really made the movie stand out. I mean, we've been calling it a reboot, but it's almost a sequel of sorts to the Oceans trilogy that stars George Clooney. Sandra Bullock plays his sister, um, supposedly after his death. We don't know if he's actually dead or if he's pulling a con um, after she's released from prison. She goes to see him and she pulls off this heist. But I liked that it had its own unique stamp. It had its own particular city and that they chose an event that is really feminine, in my opinion. Uh, Not that, you know, there aren't also men, but the Met Gala is an opportunity for female celebrities to really show off fashion wise i mean rihanna who's in this movie is the queen of the gala yeah you heard it here first everyone uh aisha harris who works at the new york times says new york is over <laughs> so <laughs> well, wait can i can i can i just really quickly say that the met i think the met gala heist itself was i really found that entertaining i just think the backdrop of new york for the rest of the movie and the met gala itself is only I don't know, maybe 20 minutes of the movie. I feel like the rest of the backdrop just felt, it it didn't feel like the city was really, not that, I hate this cliche, but not that the city needed to be another character, but it felt, I know, it just felt less exciting. And maybe that's because I'm just a jaded New Yorker now. (laughs) I really disagree. I feel like there's something really cocky about Vegas. And I think that while you can definitely make an argument for like how women should be able to like reclaim Vegas as sort of like this like fun wonderland for women as well. I liked that the New York setting sort of gave it its own sort of like, I don't know, like weird, bizarre world of like sex in the city or something. And I think the other thing I really liked about the New York setting is that while I think this movie could have used more diversity, there is like a healthy amount of diversity in a way that like sort of maps out like what New York is or like could be or um, sort of like you have these like very different like racial and economic cross sections of New York. And I think that if you had set this movie with these women in Vegas, it just like wouldn't have that same zip to it. That's a good point, Ingu. And the New York setting also gives us our great 
you know, opening sequence of the movie, which has Debbie Ocean get out of prison and sort of scam her way into a glamorous New York lifestyle. Uh, one, in fact, I, I found that the beginning of the movie was some of the most interesting stuff. Uh, you know, she goes to a department store and she grifts her way into a bunch of free beauty items and cosmetics by playing the sort of like, don't you know who I am, outraged woman <laughs> who tr- pretends to try to return it. Uh, I thought that was great. I also loved how she got herself into a hotel room uh, and it came so naturally to her. Um, Carmen, what did you think? I think also going back to the New York versus Vegas debate, um, the beginning scenes, I think definitely needed New York as a backdrop because it made it more realistic. Um, if she was trying to pull those scams in Vegas, I feel like it would have been a little more flimsy in a way. Um, but the fact I loved when she tried to return the stolen items at the department store and ended up just walking out with them in a bag. And I don't think that could have happened in Vegas. It wouldn't have been as realistic. Yeah, New York New York is such a great hotbed for female scammers right now. Fine, 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 whatever. New York is fine. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Aisha, you're alone on this one. For, for the record, I, I don't... For the record, I don't think that they should have done it in Vegas. I just think I probably would have been more interested if it was a completely different city. Uh, maybe Paris, like they did in the second one. Weren't they in this? Weren't they in Paris in the second one? I can't remember. Anyway, um, yes, we can, we can, we can leave that uh, now. Sorry. The beginning of the movie also gives us our first Ocean's cameo from the previous trilogy. Is it Elliot Gould? It is. Okay. Um, So in the uh, first movie of this franchise with George Clooney, Ocean's Eleven, uh, you see Elliot Gould play this like older casino, former casino owner named Ruben, who basically tells him, oh, like your plan is terrible. Like you should not do this. And then basically he plays the same role to Sandra Bullock. And uh, yeah, I don't think that we needed that cameo because Kate Blanchett is also there to provide that role. And so I'm just like, why? I thought that was a cute cameo. I wasn't a fan. There are two major Oceans cameos in this movie. Uh, and I thought that one was sort of appropriate because he's playing a similar role to Debbie. It's a nice crossover. He's carrying sort of a message from her theoretically dead brother. Again, I'm skeptical. Uh, I thought it it worked for me. And there was that moment of sort of nostalgia and recognition and tying the two together. I was less fond of the original Oceans or or rebooted original Oceans, um, since even Oceans 11 is actually a remake, uh, which was Xiaobo Chin uh, as the amazing Yen. I He figures in later in the heist, which we will get to. But I thought that particular inclusion was less emotionally resonant. Uh, Obviously, he's an amazing acrobat, but I almost would have preferred that they just got like a wonderful female gymnast to play that role for them. Uh, When this movie was first announced, I was standing for Sophia Boutella to be included in that kind of role, uh, who I (laughs) want to be in every movie. She has a hip hop background uh, that did not pan out. And I understand why you know, they wanted to limit it to eight women so that they can make Oceans 9 and Oceans 10. But I don't know. I felt like that one was a little forced. I thought it was forced, too. And like going 
through that checklist that I forget if it was Ingu or Aisha that mentioned at the beginning of we have to have these certain components to the heist movie. And that just felt like they really needed to squeeze in the acrobat scene and forced it a little bit with the cameo. Yeah, because he's not like a beloved fan favorite as far as I know. He's just like a recognizable face. Mm -hmm. Well, Debbie Ocean will not be persuaded out of her heist. Uh, She's been planning this in prison for five years. Uh, And so we meet her first uh, conspirator, and that is Kate Blanchett as Lou. Oh, my God. Lou is so gorgeous. But (laughs) I don't think that she needed to be in the movie like at all. I mean, I love seeing Kate Blanchett's face. And I think the costume design in this movie is like just beyond, but particularly for that character. She's like a club owner and she's sort of like in these like 70s rocker um, inspired getups. And yeah, I mean, I'm happy to see her, but like her and Sandra Bullock had basically are supposed to like be longtime partners in crime. And I think one of the dead parts of the movie is that they don't really have a lot of chemistry together. And weirdly, like the one part where I thought they had a lot of chemistry is like when they do this like faux sexual banter. But then I was like uncomfortable that they were trying to do this like weird like faux lesbian thing. And so... I was like, this is the only part of this that I enjoy, but like, I feel like it's probably problematic. Uh, I concur with everything that Ingu said. Kate Blanchett is beautiful, but it did feel like, honestly, I think I would have liked to have seen Sarah Paulson and Sandra Bullock frequently having that banter. I even think, um, because Kate Blanchett is the one who actually goes to recruit uh, Sarah Paulson's character, right? No, that's definitely Sandra Bullock, because they also have that sort of weird, sexually charged chemistry. Maybe Sandra Bullock just has that with everyone. Maybe. So, I mean, just to explain who Sarah Paulson's character is, Sarah Paulson, uh, she is basically a, I guess, former, obviously former kleptomaniac or something along those lines. I don't want to diagnose her, but she loves to steal things and then sell them on eBay. And she is now a housewife living probably in Jersey. I can't remember somewhere in the suburbs and Sandra Bullock goes to recruit her. And I thought this was kind of funny. It was like her entire garage is filled with millions, like so many different things that are all the same. So she'll have like three uh, motorbikes and, and like, five different stuffed animals that are all the same stuffed animals. And when Sandra Bullock goes to recruit her, they have that like weird sexual charge energy and, and Sandra or Sarah Paulson's character is just very excited to like at the prospect of getting away from her humdrum life of being a mother in the suburbs. <laughs> and I really like that sort of charge. And I wish there was more of that with Kate Blanchett's character because it did feel, I also felt for like a movie in which there's, actually fewer characters than there were in Ocean's Eleven, obviously, there fewer people planning the heist. It did feel like they spent a lot of time apart from each other. And it's been a long time since I've seen Ocean's Eleven, but I just feel like it was rare that we saw them all in the room together, all eight of them. And when they were all together, it was sort of by the books, like, oh, we're just ex- explaining this heist. Um, and, and it felt, I don't know, it didn't feel cohesive in a way that I wanted it to, like they're working together. Yeah. So 
Um, one of the things that the movie does is that Sandra Bullock, with the help of Kate Blanchett's character, also basically like sort of like goes around New York and they're trying to find the people that they need for this heist. There's a hacker played by Rihanna. There's a pickpocket played by Aquafina. There's a jeweler uh, played by Mindy Kaling. And then there's a fashion designer played by Helena Bonham Carter. And basically the thing that they're trying to steal is like this particular very old, very uh, luxurious necklace, diamond necklace from Cartier. That's and so- it's I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. The <laughs> sorry, my my French is not great. But I liked and, how everyone in the movie was like the Toussaint. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so basically, there's a scene where Mindy Kaling's character and Helena Bonham Carter's character, um, so like this like very like competent, self confident jeweler, and this like very like nervous, jittery, um fashion designer who is like very much really uncomfortable with the idea of participating in the heist go to Cartier to go look at the necklace and what they're doing there is sort of like trying to get like a scan of it so they can make a 3d replica what was up with those spy glasses that's me that really took me out of this heist which was so carefully planned with all of these clever like psychological and behavioral and logistical elements and then there were these like magic glasses which i looked them up after the movie i don't think anything like that exists i think that was pretty fanciful yeah but like the thing that i really liked about that scene is that you have kaling and bonham carter who usually are not in like projects that you would think like they are they would be part of one cast like they seem like they would be a part of like very different types of movies and basically they're sort of playing off of each other and the characters don't know each other very well and you can and but like the actresses are clearly having a great time sort of like trying to create this chemistry and part of the movie is that you have all of these disparate women who are skilled but necessarily but wouldn't necessarily have the ability to sort of like do all that they were capable of until Sandra Bullock comes and says like, this is like what we're going to do. Right. Like that's part of like the appeal of the movie. And so watching these two very different disparate um, actresses, like act in one scene, I thought that was like a real highlight of the movie for me, even though it's sort of like a very expositional scene at the same time. And the fact that like there weren't more of these like really annoyed me. I mean, I would just say that I, uh, I agree. I really like that scene, although I did, I did find the whole kind of inspector gadgety aspect of it to feel a little it, not realistic. Although again, this whole movie is not realistic. But that for me was the only moment where I was unable to suspend my disbelief. And I was like, this is silly Hollywood stuff. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ingo has already touched on one small part of the heist. This is a very elaborately planned heist. Uh, Carmen, you want to try to unpack it for us? Some of the many steps? Sure. Okay, so Sandra Bullock's character has a mysterious list with these kind of 
shortcut names for each step of the heist and no one really knows what each title is supposed to mean but as she goes through it basically she gets her team assembled so helena bonham carter's character is the is the fashion designer that they recruit to get anne hathaway's character on board so uh, helena bonham the helena bonham carter character she's a fashion designer who if i remember correctly she's like at risk of going bankrupt or something like she's had some sort of professional failure so she owes the irs five million dollars and she's like stressing out and is worried about her business and so they recruit her to ask Anne Hathaway, or Anne Hathaway's character, who's like this actress slash socialite, um, to or to convince her to like let her dress her for the Met Ball. And Anne Hathaway's character like doesn't know at all what's like what's going on. She's just like along for the ride. Or so we think. So we think. Well, I think for part of it, she doesn't realize it. I, anyway, Daphne, Anne Hathaway's character, she they. Um, Helena Bonacarter convinces Daphne, you know, you should wear like the perfect, the perfect thing to go with this dress I'm going to make for you is this Cartier necklace. And so that's how we get to the point where the uh, Mindy Kaling and Helen Bonacarter are going to look at this and, and inspect this Cartier necklace that's like deep in the bowels of, of the, of the Met, I think. And, and they have to like go underground and there's this whole funny thing that happens. And so once they finally are able to, with these special glasses that Helen Bottom Carter is wearing, they make the copy of the, uh, the, the actual diamonds and then the 3d print comes through. And then there's a whole mishap with once they actually finally get it on the day of the Met Gala to wear, you know, because it's a, a, a uh, necklace worth millions of dollars. They, have, of course, have security. There's all these things involved. They have to hand it off. There's a special clip that has to be, or like a, a lock that has to be made, and only the security guard can lock and unlock it. So once it's on Daphne, like, she's not supposed to, like, go anywhere without these other security guards around. Which is a problem because the plan is to steal it directly off Daphne's neck. Exactly. Uh, which is which brings us to one of, I think, one of the funnier parts. And Anne Hathaway, I think, is has already been like duly praised for this role. Like she is probably the best thing about this movie. And it, the, when she's like putting on the necklace for the first time, like because before she was just like, I don't know about this necklace. I'm not convinced. It's so heavy. And then she puts it on and she just kind of basically has an orgasm <laughs> <laughs> from looking at herself in the mirror with from this looking necklace. At herself. Exactly. And it's just one of those moments where like, it's just perfect. Her face is so lit up and her, her eyes, which I think at some point someone compliments her and says her eyes are like huge. Bambi <laughs> like, eyes. Bambi, yeah. yeah. And so seeing her eyes just brighten up and ha- like her shuddering and like this orgasmic pleasure while she's putting on this necklace is one of the highlights of that movie and was a great moment. And I think that's, that's a lot of exposition, but that's the gist of how they get the necklace on Anne Hathaway. And, oh, and then, of course, once they realize there's also a lock that's to be had, Helena Bottom Carter's character, like, is sneaky and is able to, like, while the guy's unlocking it, I guess take a picture of it so that the the other women will know what it looks like. And then that's when Rihanna's character, her sister, like, gets involved and she knows all about, like, special locks and keys. So I I think something that Aisha touched on is sort of like this idea of like female pleasure in the movie, which is, I think, 
which for me at least like really makes up for the fact that the plotting is so rote um because there's Anne Hathaway who is sort of taking just like happy with like how she looks and also like in this (laughs) um and also like with this diamond necklace but there are multiple scenes where they are just basically like really happy with like what they can do there's like no such thing as like imposter syndrome in this universe and then the specific pleasures that like the movie brings to the audience are really girly like I think the Met Ball at this point probably because of social media or news coverage or whatever is like now this like very hollowed place and the fact that like the movie sort of takes us inside of the ball and lets us like revel in all of the clothes and all of the jewels um i like for me if you are not reveling in those things you're not really like experiencing the movie and the fact that like the movie is just sort of like this is like it's very the fact that like the movie is very like unashamed about like the fact that like these things should bring probably female viewers pleasure like i think that that is something that i found really revolutionary about like a fairly largely ho-hum movie i agree with you ingu i agree with the idea of female pleasure in the movie um and there was one part though with the fashion that when you were saying that the mostly female viewers are are meant to be reveling in the fashion of the Met Ball and the kind of mystery around the gala. Um, I thought the necklace did a great job of carrying that symbolism. Like, the necklace was definitely an over-the-top, really beautiful something to wow at, but the fashion, not so much. Like, I was really, really excited to see what everyone would, what all these characters would be wearing to the Met Ball, and... It's a costume gala, so in real life, everyone usually goes all out, and I just felt it was a little bit blah at that point, the costume design. We should note that this fictional gala had a theme of European royalty, right? and you're right, Carmen, the dresses on the red carpet were very traditional uh, red carpet stuff, whereas the real Met Ball, I mean, this year's real theme was heavenly bodies and was sort of catholic inspired and people were wearing like all kinds of vestments and not inspired of the pope like (laughs) that's the ultimate but i think that's part of like one of the i don't know like um bad timings of this movie uh like this year's actual met gala was so stunning that in comparison uh i would Like, I guess I would agree that, like, the costumes aren't that amazing. But if you compare it to, like, the Met Met Galas of, like, years past, which for me have been less impressive, I think this would have been, like, okay. And also, uh, like, Anne Hathaway's character wears, like, a 70-foot train that is, like, bright pink and bejeweled. So I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did like her train. I thought I liked the shot too that got her walking um up this up or down the stairs with it training behind her. That was really pretty, but I did not like the Barbie pink get up with the Toussaint. I thought that it was a little too baby girl. Not impressed by fictional fashion designer right. Rose Wild. No wonder she's in bankruptcy. <laughs> I mean, we we saw like the Meghan Markle Harry wedding like 
That's European not the royalty same. is not like where you go for fashion. I don't know. Maybe I'm like too apologetic for this movie. Should we? Get- we should get to the heist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and or like, and or the reveal of like the real reason. Because of course, with all these movies, there's always a real reason why this heist is happening. Oh yeah, they're very coy. They're very coy about it. Aisha, you want to take it? So. Similar to Ocean's Eleven, the remake with George Clooney and everyone else, this movie also has features Sandra Bullock's character, Deborah Ocean, having her own sort of secret reason, like the real reason why she wants to pull off a heist, which is not just that it's fun and she loves to do it, but there's, you know, got to give her motivation, her, you know, uh, daughter die or her, her daughter back at home in gravity moment where she can like have a reason to like be like a real person and that that would be i guess her former boyfriend lover who's some sort of art dealer art collector art gallery owner uh, who is named claude becker who's played by richard armitage and claude becker essentially we learned that he ratted her out and he's the reason why she spent five years in jail and even though that they were both involved with i, I think they were both legit involved with like scamming art dealers or art collectors. And so she's get, she wants to get back at him. And the whole point of the heist is to pull off the heist, but then also frame him for the heist. And I don't know what you all thought about that plot line. I, I mean, I guess it's nice to have some motivation, but I also just feel like can't a heist just be a heist. (laughs) I don't know. I was less than blown away by that. Yeah. There's like, one of the great lines of this movie for me was like, there's a scene where um, Sandra Bullock says that she's going to do it for all, like that every like eight year old girl out there who like <laughs> lies in yeah. bed dreaming about becoming a criminal. And as I said before, like, I mean, we're obviously living in like a moment of like female scammers. So I don't see why that stupid storyline was necessary in the least. Although I will say I did love the implication that all gallery owners are just scammers. I like that there was an element of revenge. Uh, I agree. That speech in the mirror is very fun. And one of the many sort of winking self-aware moments in this movie, uh, you know, Anne Hathaway is playing sort of a spoof on her public persona. Uh, and later in the movie, there's a line about how one of the characters, you know, doesn't have a lot of close personal female friends. And that's as, Anne Hathaway. That's Anne Hathaway, um, as we will get to. But I thought that was great. I thought I like that element of the heist, even though we saw it telegraphed coming way in advance. Uh, I thought that was a nice tie in to. The other Oceans movies, it was sort of a must-have for a heist film, and I don't mind that they felt the need to shoehorn it in there. I thought it was well executed. I guess guess one, now that I think about it more, I do kind of like the reversal of it, because in the original movie, the reason George Clooney's character wanted to pull off that heist was so that he could get Tess back, Julia Roberts' character. Whereas here, like Sandra Bullock's like sticking it to the man, literally, and so it's not like she wants to get back with this guy who made her stay in jail for five years. She wants revenge. So I guess in a like rah rah feminist uh, way, I <laughs> planting evidence that way. <laughs> yes. 
I also appreciated that that plot line allowed for Sandra Bullock's character to hold up a shiv to someone because <laughs> that was just a good moment. Something that should be in every movie. What did you guys think of Sandra Bullock as the lead of this movie? Because I really go back and forth because sometimes I feel like she really does have that like fuck everything sort of attitude. But then other times I was like, what are you doing? You were like the girl next door. And I don't think that's like me projecting like her past performances or like her persona on her. I think like part of it is just that like she's not who you really naturally think of as like the middle finger lady. Really? I feel like she kind of is. What was the blind side? But like her being a tough, like it's coming from love or whatever, but like she was kind of like a tough cookie. And then in Miss Congeniality, she literally, I think she gives the middle finger at least once in that movie. The proposal, Uh, her persona is very powerful too. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like she was actually kind of perfect for this movie. She did play it very cool. I think even when she was, in the midst of exacting her revenge. There's really only one scene in the movie that is emotionally charged at all, and that is the confrontation between uh, Debbie and Lou, Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, when Lou finds out that she's possibly, you know, jeopardizing the whole plan to get back at this guy. Right. Yeah. I also think that um, Sandra Bullock does have that, that power element, I think, from her past movies, like Aisha was saying. But she does also have a little bit of the girl next door thing. Um, and I think that that was necessary for her to be the lead role in this movie where women are taking all the roles that men normally have because it made it a little more um, tangible. Like she's going to do this in her way, like in a feminine way, but it's still going to be a badass heist. It also played into the overarching theme of this movie, which is that women are not noticed in the way that men are and they're not in starring roles. And that's why in part they're able to pull off this heist. Yeah. Uh, that was a really great, like, just like it, it was like a throwaway line, but it also was like definitely one of like the major like undercurrents of the movie that gave it that like weird extra charge. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's get inside the Met. So they have this elaborate plan all lined up. Daphne is wearing the necklace. They're ready to go. Let's talk about the logistics of this very complicated heist. So they have, thanks to Rihanna's character, Nineball, hacked the security system at the Met, which is hilariously lax. Uh, It is not hard (laughs) to hack. Uh, Rihanna accomplishes this by, what kind of dog does the, a Wheaton Terrier, the head of security for the company that the Met employs just loves him a Wheaton Terrier and he as we've all been warned not to do clicks a very suspicious link that he's been emailed at the promise of cute puppy photos uh, and so Nineball is able to hack in to the system and gradually over the course of I think 10 to 12 days reposition a camera so that there is a blind spot just outside the temple 
of Dender, which is one of the most spectacular rooms in the entire Met. It is a vast Egyptian wing uh, recreation, uh, and that is where the dinner for the Met is being held, the famed dinner that ordinarily we who do not have, you know, $30,000 for a ticket do not get to see because there are no cameras in real life. Uh, What did we think of that staging? I just, I don't know why, but I know that there's no cameras inside the Met and it's so mysterious when it happens in real life because we just get to see the outside and then once everyone goes in, that's kind of it. But I just took it all for granted almost. Like I just figured, okay, this is how it is. Like that is exactly how the Met Gala looks in real life and they got it spot on. I'm not sure what about it made me think that, but... I thought it was accurate. (laughs) And they also got like, I think I tried to count and then I lost count, like literally dozens of people to cameo. And so I think that sort of like added to, gave it like this like weird, verisimilitude to this like very silly, like very unrealistic movie where like, I feel like as you saw these like gigantic pans of the gala, I was just like really busy looking for recognizable faces. And then there were so many of them. So good on the casting director, I guess. Yeah, we saw Kim Kardashian. We saw Serena Williams. There were a lot of I enjoyed the run in with Heidi Klum when Sandra Bullock and her spoke German to each other about the dress. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Anna Wintour was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually I saw this movie pretty early in an early screening and so I, I hadn't really read up on it and I actually thought that it was actually the Met Gala. Afterwards I read up and I realized it wasn't and they just recreated it but I definitely I thought it was something similar into the vein of what uh, Terrence Malick did last year or a couple years ago with the, his film that was Song to Song I think it was that was filmed at in part during South by Southwest I thought it was this very cool. We're we're just gonna plant these these actors in the middle of all this happening, and so seeing you know Serena Williams and 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 all these other characters is really interesting. I I'm curious though, like the I, well, mostly I was just curious about like do, do people actually eat at the Met Gala? Like I don't know if I would ever do that in a dress that costs oh, cause all like, much money. Food, that is because food is like a big part of the plot right right because essentially Aquafina's character for the first part of the heist she like pretends to be um the a server there mm-hmm. am i remember was it Aquafina? Yep. it was Aquafina. yeah yeah so Aquafina is a server and so she gives anne hathaway's character the soup or whatever and the soup makes her very sick very quickly and so she has to run to the bathroom and that's where Aquafina like runs into her there again. She's like, are you okay? And and because it's the women's bathroom, which isn't like another kind of quirk of the movie, because it's the women's bathroom, the security men who are following and have character all around can't go in there. Mm-hmm. And so Aquafina's in there and she's like, well, Anne Hathaway's over the toilet, just like throwing, like blowing chunks all over the place. <laughs> Aquafina is able to like very covertly, switch the the um the necklace with the 3d necklace and that's well, she doesn't she, switch it the, the right open. away that was something i was really confused by like i thought that 
it was going to be a moment of tension where they made a mistake in the plan and Aquafina was supposed to put the fake necklace on her but forgot or something because I didn't see now once you get to the end of the movie you understand why they wanted the moment where everyone's searching for the necklace and the exits are sealed and everyone's distracted but in the moment um when she comes out of the bathroom and she doesn't have anything on her neck I was like oh shit they messed up but what but when you see that character, like Aquafina's pickpocket character, in previous scenes, you see her take things, but you don't see her put, like, plant things. Um, and so I guess maybe that's, like, not in her skill set. I thought it was more of a fun... First of all, it was fun as a viewer, but also, like, it was such a fun twist on what you would expect the plan to be. Because if she'd just swapped the necklaces, that would be the end of the heist. Then it would just be a matter of smuggling it out. But instead, they create this furor because as soon as she comes out, the security guards are like, where's the necklace? And they have to lock down the entire building and they search for it. In the meantime, we see we follow the necklace as it's being handed off from character to character and then planted on a busboy who does not know that he is the courier for... How much is this necklace worth? $150 million. Uh, and he actually, on his way to the kitchen, stops to take a break to talk about smoking weed, which I thought was very funny. I also thought there was a fun, or maybe not fun. You can't fun, trust but... men. That's <laughs> well, he, he was ignorant. But I thought there was a nice, incisive point about class in that Aquafina's character and then even this busboy are almost invisible. They're, I mean, Aquafina is professionally in that way but even this waiter like no one stops him on his way there all of these among these famous people these waiters are just sort of part of the furniture uh which is which they use to their advantage to pull off this heist i mean they also have uh mindy kaling working in the kitchen which is where the necklace is eventually fated to go uh what did we what did we think that was one of my Favorite parts of the movie, Mindy Kaling locked in the bathroom once she finally gets the necklace, recutting the jewels into different pieces of jewelry that all of the other women can then wear out of the gala. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, I like that part, too. And it was it was nice to see Mindy Kaling get to do something because <laughs> I feel like for the first like most of the rest of the movie, she well, actually, that's not true. I guess we just we did talk about that scene with her and Helen Lombard and Carter earlier. But it was nice to see that her just like in when she gets into the bathroom so she pulls down the diaper changing stations and that's what she uses like to put the like to work on so she's using the station but then the tampon dispenser is used to like it has all of her tools and trinkets that she's going to use to actually take the things apart so i thought that was a nice little quirk and and fun to watch her do all of that and and have that all placed right beforehand somewhere no man would ever look Exactly. I think that's a really great point, though, in that, like, the film never, like, uh, states this, but as planned out by Sandra Bullock's character, this is, like, fundamentally a heist that a group of men could not pull off because a lot of the most important uh, components take place in the women's bathrooms. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, so eventually they do find what they think is the necklace, but it is actually... Uh, the fake that has been planted by Sarah Paulson, who has wormed her way into the Vogue inner circle uh, and the planning committee of the gala. And it is not until Cartier gets what they think is the Toussaint back that they it's a very funny scene. The jeweler 
takes one look at it and kind of blanks and then looks at it again and starts freaking out because it is so clearly a fake. Uh, And that means that they have to call in the insurance investigator, who is James (laughs) Corden, who felt very strange and out of place in this movie to me. Oh, wow. Can I just say one thing about that Cartier Cartier guy, though? Say it. I feel like if I were him, I would have noted that it was a fake and then just, like, let it go. And the reason (laughs) for that is that it's mentioned in the movie that the jewel is so precious that no one has, like, actually seen it for, like, the last 50 years. And I feel like... If I were that guy's age, I would just be like, eh, really good chance. Like, by the next time it's, like, unearthed, like, you know, uh, I'm going to be dead. And I was, was never going to get hired at Cartier. <laughs> you <have> just disqualified <laughs> yourself from any future positions at Cartier. That's fine. Uh, that is true. Although it would mean that we did not get the last leg of the movie, which maybe would have been for the best because I thought it really lost steam once James Corden came on the scene. Sorry, James Corden. Uh, All right. So we got a very satisfying scene at the end of the heist where all of the women involved, who for the most part have been dressed in uniforms of various types, uh, they all change into these fabulous gowns. We get to see Rihanna all dolled up, which as she should be. And they all wear the Toussaint out of the gala in plain sight in the form of various other pieces of jewelry as earrings, as a bracelet. Uh, What a wonderful scene. There is one piece, however, that is not accounted for. Where is it, Carmen? So the last piece that's unaccounted for is in Richard Armitage's pocket, and later it's used to um, to frame him in the stealing of all the pieces. Uh, which is not hard to do because Sandra Bullock randomly already knows James Corden. Like, she just has sort of a history with this particular insurance inspector. I, her family does... What a weird twist. That was too easy to me to be like, oh, I know this guy and it's fine. He doesn't want to arrest me. I can just plant it on my ex-boyfriend and he'll go along with it. Uh, Did anyone else think that was too convenient? Yes. I mean, it was convenient as fuck. But like, I never thought I'd say this, but I actually really found James Corden to be pretty delightful. <laughs> I mean, it was totally unnecessary. And I do think the last third of this movie drags, but I also think he had a lot of like funny one-liners in, in that, in that uh, stint. So I was, I was fine with it. It was totally convenient, but it, it worked for me more or less. I feel like he brings such a loose energy that even though I also agree that like the final chapter, just like drags on the rest of the movie is so clock clockwork and so precise that having someone who just like almost seemed to like live outside of like the tone of that universe was actually really refreshing it's sort of like if you have like i don't know like a really heavy meal and then you have like a dessert that just like doesn't make sense with the rest of the meal mm-hmm. but you're kind of like really thankful that like you're just like tasting something new does that make sense uh yeah i i didn't think he was necessarily bad i think i was more just very aware that he's himself you know he's not an actor uh although that's true of maybe multiple people in this movie i mean aquafina was definitely playing 
herself and her persona, which brought me only joy. Uh, Rihanna as well. Uh, I don't know. For some reason, maybe because we'd had so much female energy up until that point, it felt very jarring to me. I did wonder for a time who the eighth person in this heist was going to be. So Anne Hathaway was featured very prominently in the marketing. But for most of this film, she's kind of the mark. She is not in on the heist. And so we only have seven women. Uh, For a hot minute, I thought Rihanna's little sister was going to be the eighth person. But I was wrong. It turns out it is Anne Hathaway all along. I I think they make it pretty clear that Anne Hathaway was a mark at first. And she didn't like she wasn't always in on it. Right. But she figured it out early. And sort yeah, of played well, along. She figured it out when she, she figured it out when she put the necklace on, because uh, you know that I think they show a flashback, and so they show her, um, sort of having her orgasm again while putting the necklace on. But then she like notices <laughs> Helena Bottom Carter's character kind of taking a picture of it, and then she's like, "Oh, what's going on here?" And I, I that was that was a twist. I, I was it though. I think she was pr- featured so prominently in the marketing and she was one of the eight names that I just sort of assumed that she would be part of the heist. And I was delighted by the time we had gotten three quarters of the way through the movie to find out that she wasn't. I was waiting for who's going to be the eighth. Right. Like I, I thought I thought the same thing. And so when she did when it when it did turn out, she wanted to join in like she wanted to cut. Well, I mean, technically, she wasn't even really in the heist. She like got cut in after the fact and was in for the other part of the, uh, wait, no, she didn't know about that part of the heist either. So she wasn't even really in the heist. She just like wanted a cut in on the, like the aftermath of the heist and covering up in it. She does have one very important role, which is that she helps to frame Richard Armitage in a scene where she handcuffs him to the bed and then plants the jewel, which has already been in his coat pocket very prominently uh, they they she places it on his tie uh, with the goal of photographing it so that James Corden can get a warrant to search his apartment. And I imagine he will spend a very long time in jail as a result. Eh, he's a white man. <laughs> um, I mean, that brings us to the end of the movie. It comes as a surprise to everyone, including much of the audience, I would imagine, because there are very few hints about this, that the Toussaint is actually not the only or even the main goal of this heist. Uh, they actually steal a ton of jewels from the exhibition itself, which is about European royalty, uh, which is revealed with Sandra Bullock opening a fridge that is just full of jewels and all of the other women sort of fawning over it. Uh, and that actually brings us to our other Ocean's cameo, uh, which they, they constructed this interesting exhibit that seems impractical to the point of like they built it specifically with the sequence they had in mind for the heist, as opposed to what the Met might actually uh, create to put these jewels and fashion models on display, which is a room that is all it's like a wa- there's like a moat around it and you walk over it and it has sensors because this is a heist movie. So you got to have some sensors, the lasers going across the room. Uh, and so they recruit someone who's not even on the team to come help out. Uh, I thought that was a cool and funny scene, but it also felt sort of random. 
because I don't think that we knew it was coming and that there was foreshadowing. Maybe I missed something. Anybody? So the one element, small element of foreshadowing there is for the actual heist is a scene when Kate Blanchett goes and purchases this little yellow submarine from a toy store. And it seems really random at the time, but at the end, it all comes together. So I think what is really fun about that whole sequence when, um, is it Shabo Chin comes and does like a bunch of like acrobatic stuff to steal the jewels is that you have this like very like professional looking like black wires everywhere like precision machine stuff but the way that uh Kate Blanchett or one of the other women actually pick up the jewels from this moat is that there's this like dinky little dinky little like yellow submarine that like he just like plops it on and so <laughs> like I think like a lot of this movie is sort of about like the um like high low or sort of like the appeal of like the high low like in terms of aesthetics right you have like the Met Gala and then you have all of this like grimier um, you have this sort of like this element of like grime coming in and just sort of being like, no, like I know that like you've established this like particular social hierarchy of like the royalty get to have this and like the rest of us get to have this. And I think one of like the great things about scammers as a trope is that they just like have no respect for those lines. And so for me, what I really loved about like this like sudden intrusion of this plastic submarine is that it really encapsulates that fun of like just like mishmashing things from different class signifiers. I'm not making that sound fun, but it actually is pretty fun. So they do ultimately get away with it uh, with the help of some sweet old ladies, actresses who they hire. Um, that kind of plays into the idea of the movie that women aren't noticed. And especially in this case, older women, uh, they play these kind of archetypes. You know, one is a grieving widow who's crying and makes a, a jeweler very uncomfortable. Another is sort of chatty and talks the ear off of hers. Uh all with the goal of selling off their jewels and then they transfer some of the money into Richard Armitage's company and that is what seals his fate. Uh, but the rest of our merry heisters get happy endings. So Rose Weil gets out of debt, Helena Bonham Carter's character, and she gets to, we see her open her own store. Nineball gets her own bar, wow, which is revealed in a fun way. She's playing billiards and it cuts to the name of the bar and it says nine ball uh kate blanchett gets a sweet ride uh since she's a biker chick <laughs> uh, everyone gets a happy ending and finally we see debbie ocean returning to her brother's grave and she sits and she stares at it and she says something along the lines of you know i did it it worked you would have loved it you would have loved it she makes a martini she pulls it out of her purse and that is the end of the movie so what do we think? Will we all return for Ocean's Nine, I guess? Is that happening? I mean, I assume I part of I found it strange that when they first announced this, that they would call the movie Ocean's Eight. That seemed like an arbitrary number. But of course, it naturally suggests a trilogy that will take us up to Ocean's Nine and then Ocean's Ten. And then it transitions nicely into the Ocean's Eleven movies. Uh even maybe I'm projecting Gary Ross that idea is free <laughs> I mean they all get like what 16 million dollars at the end of the heist 
Well, like, that really stopped Debbie Ocean, though. She doesn't seem like she was ever in it for the money or even for revenge. She just seems like she's really good at planning heists. But she, like, started the movie Homeless after she came out of prison. I'm just saying, like, maybe this speaks to, like, my absolute like wretched mediocrity but like <laughs> just settle for your 16 million like why risk going to jail i think they each with the full heist they each ended up with 30 something million i think it was 38 million yeah. because they got that bonus score at the end that very few of them knew they were actually going after that's i mean 16 million is also a lot of money uh 38 million is even more I I could see circumstances. I mean, the Oceans movies were kind of like that, where at the end of the movie, they were like, we did it. Everything is resolved. And then the next one would start and be like, but wait, no, it's not. Eh. Well, what are you thinking, Goo? If they do come up with a plot, would you see Oceans 9? Would I see it? Yes. Would I want to see it? Probably not. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Who do you want the ninth woman to be? Where is a Latina woman in this cast? I think that... Uh, Eva Mendes, for example, looks amazing in clothes and also has like just that like right amount of uh, glamour with like a hit, like a hint of dirt thrown onto it. I'm going to editorialize um, and say that I bet Eva Mendes looks good out of clothes as well. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many actresses who would be great in this type of movie. Uh, Kate Mulgrew, Haddish. Tiffany Haddish would be great. Gina Rodriguez would be amazing. Uh, okay, Angu says, uh, what about you, Aisha? Ocean's Nine? You're going to come see it with me? <laughs> sure. I mean, like Angu, I, I don't need to see another one, but if there is one, I will go see it. And hopefully they will add someone like James Corden, Corden's character, except she's a woman and she'll be really funny all the time. Carmen, Ocean's Nine, are you in? I would see it, yeah. I would see it as well. I found this movie fluffy but in the most enjoyable way this is exactly what i want from my summer heist movie uh so we will all be back for martinelli's four as i'm rebranding us (laughs) (laughs) or maybe we'll add a fifth maybe we'll add gina rodriguez gina rodriguez open invitation to be on our next spoiler special Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Daniel Schrader. For Ingu, Aisha, and Carmen, I'm Marissa Martinelli. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.